Hi, and welcome to Cameron's Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. I'm not sure if it's my job to call you to order, but anyway, I'm calling you to order. <laughs> I think we ought to make a start, or we'll still be here at midnight, and I haven't brought me cocoa, and I haven't got me teddy bear, so I can't stay. So um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make a start. Um, I've uh, been doing some teaching on training up churches to have ministry teams, uh, and I've called the work um, Power Ministry, and I wrote the program about 25 years or more ago, uh, maybe more than that actually, and um, what I've got to try and do, and we used to do it one evening a week, and then they would, under sort of tutorage from the team that was already in existence, they would, they would be used on a Sunday if God wanted anything to happen that Sunday but we used to run it through for six evenings um, I've got an hour <laughs> so we see what we can do let's pray though Father we're, we're realising uh, again that all that we are and all that we can be is you. All we can do is by your spirit and your spirit alone. Now, Lord, as we come to this last session, may the spirit of truth guide us. May the spirit of wisdom make plain to us. And Lord, we pray that you will move mightily through your church today. Amen. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Well, gift of the Spirit is a phrase that's very infrequently used, actually, in the New Testament. It's not clearly defined in meaning either, really. It can simply mean a present or a gift or anything special. What is obvious is that it is God the Father who gives to us and God the Holy Spirit who delivers it. All right? That's, that's something we need to be clear. It's God's work, in other words. It's God's work. He will give to each one of us what equipping we need for any particular occasion. So you can't approach me with your shopping list. Well, I've looked at the lists, Lord. I've ticked off these three, which I really like. You know, I like a bash at these if it's all right with you. He says, no, it's not. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> and come back when your heart's right. It's not that. You see, God gives as he wants to give. You know? We had a lady um, in our church in Paddington who had cancer. She eventually died, but God kept her alive an awful lot longer than you would normally expect with cancer, and that was a miracle. Um, and it gave her a chance to come and see God from a new perspective, and that was the work he was doing while she was dying of cancer. But we used to pop in, Sarah and I, to see her... Um, I was every week, Sarah, was it? I can't remember now. But very regularly, anyway. And we're praying there one afternoon, and, and she let us pray for her and lay hands on her, which we were doing, and praying about all sorts of things about her, her life, not just her cancer, because we wanted to be better, better know Jesus as well. I mean, she knew him, but she, you know, we wanted to work from that holistic angle. Anyway, I, I'm, we're praying, and we had little times of quiet, just to wait on God and listen. All of a sudden, I heard this noise to the left of me, and I thought, what on earth? And I look round, and it's my good lady wife here praying in tongues. She's never prayed in tongues in her life. But you see, the point is, at that moment, God gifted her with power for purpose. See how it works? That's how it works. I've got time to tell you the story, but when I first got... The, a lady was downstairs in a basement flat underneath the, the manse next door to the church in Westbourne Park where I lived and a team who were with us for the year, year team working with us, came out and knocked, knocked on my door about 10 o'clock one night. I'm not the happiest guy. We didn't ring my doorbell that time of night. Anyway, I went down, spoke past. So we've got this lady um, who comes from 
the flats over the road, a little Irish lady, terribly abused by the nuns. You may have heard some of these stories about the Irish nuns. It was all true. Anyway, um, she'd become an alcoholic because of that, terribly abused in so many ways. But she's there, she's in there. And uh, they wanted me to take her back home and what have you. And I said to her, well, Vera, I said, let's pray with you. Um, before you go, and I started to pray. Now, she was a little Irish woman, about four for eight, right? And she's got a really high voice, and she spoke, I can't speak Irish, but, you know, oh, we don't know, what do you know, would you believe it? And a little high voice, she said, that's, that's Vera. She's sitting on this little sofa in the downstairs basement flat, and I'm sitting on the arm, just praying that God will be with her as we take her back home, and this voice comes out of her. You can't have her. She's mine. Thank you. I knew nothing about deliverance work. What do you do? I just prayed. Get out. You're not wanted. And it worked. By the way, don't start reading books on deliverance ministry. There's no teaching manual in the whole of the Bible on deliverance ministry. I'm not saying casting out demons isn't necessary, but there's no teaching on it. Because it's dead simple. You say, get out. Only more you can do about it. It's his work. It's never failed me. Anyway, it's by the way, and I haven't got time. So, it's a work of God. That's the point. The gifts we have come in varieties of listings. Romans 12, 6, there are seven functions. 1 Corinthians 12, there are nine. Ephesians 4, there are a list of four. And in 1 Peter 4, 9, there's an even smaller list shown. All this suggests, to me at least, that the whole gifting of God is fluid. I don't think you can parcel up the gifts quite so simply as that. Get into the Old Testament and we find the gifts were to do with the constructing of the temple. Those who were already skilled artisans at their work were brought in and gifted under the Spirit of God to do an even greater work of artistry and and work than they could otherwise have done. Now, I don't know if you want the gift of goldsmithing, but there you are. I mean, you know, we've got to to give God room to move. Attitudes. From 1 Corinthians 10 to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you have one thing going on there. It's a worship manual. It's a manual on how how to minister in worship. Not how to minister, but how to go about worship, communion and what have you. Chapter 10, you've got mention of the Lord's Supper and so on. Chapter 11, there was an attitude as we come to worship. Then again in 17, the Lord's Supper is addressed. Chapter 12 includes a list of the spiritual gifts. Importantly, note verse 7, the gifts are therefore the common good for the equipping of the local church. In 1 Corinthians 13, by the way, don't use it for a wedding for pity's sake. It's out of context. Michael's so right. It's got nothing to do with weddings. It's about the attitude we should have amongst brothers and sisters in Christ in and around all our worship life. If I've got all the gifts, but I, 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 tongues, um, if I know the Spirit of God, I'm a hanging symbol. You, you know the bit. It's late in the afternoon, my brain hurts. But you know what I'm saying? That's the context of 1 Corinthians 13. And then 1 Corinthians uh, 14, within this, the end chapter of this worship manual, you, we've got about testing the gifts. Don't let everybody get up and start speaking in tongues in your church, says Paul. Don't be such a wally. He said, don't do it. He says, you've got unbelievers in the place. They're going to think you've all gone right start raving bonkers. Don't do it. And anyway, you're there to proclaim the word of God. And if you're speaking in tongues, nobody knows what the heck you're saying. Amen. Now, if you've got a translator, Paul says, fair enough. Because then that miracle work of tongue and translation can be seen by an unbeliever. But if nobody, if nobody, if, 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 if two or three at the most, if after that there's clearly no translator that morning, tell them to shut up and sit down. You're allowed to do that. It's all right. 
Balance due to the gifts, that's the other thing. Gifts completely divorced from the local church, the gathered ones who are working together, is not recognised in the New Testament. Even the missionaries sent out were sent out by the church. You see, it's not a remote work, an isolated work. We're under the covering of the church. That's the point. It's a people united in a common faith. Church, <laughs> the word, quick, the word church is a wrong translation. All right? Ecclesia means council. And it was simply used of a group. It could be the t- town council. It could be an a administrative council in some way or another. But the point was, it was a group of people who gathered together with one heart and one mind and one purpose. And I tell you, every Sunday, there's a church in the building, but it's inside and smaller than the people who are attending. Because the church is made up of those who are gathered together of one mind and heart. If you're not in unity, you're not in the church. You've gone against the word, ecclesia. It was King James, actually, when he had the authorised version uh, translated into English, who insisted that they took out the word council and put the word church in because he wanted to have an organisation that he could then be head of and be in control of. That's why it came in. Did you know that? There you go. I'm full of useless information. I'm full of it. There has to be a balance between fruit and gifts. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, um, faithfulness, and so on. You know, you know the list from Galatians. That's fine. They need to be with you. And it, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit, is that not the character of Jesus? So what are you saying? You know, Don't ask for the fruits. Ask that Jesus would show. You see, if Christ is living in you, you've got the fruits. All of them. Oh, I have a trouble with loving, I've got to tell you. Well, you might have, but the source of all love is living within you. See? The problem isn't you haven't got them. The problem is you ain't showing them. You see? That, that's, that's where your quiet times come in. Your personal walk with Jesus every day. Quiet times is not, it's not you tick off. You know, I've done the reading. I read the prayer at the bottom of the page. Um, I, I pray for Auntie Nelly, Uncle Sam. Oh, yeah, I even pray for Pastor Robson. I thought he needed it this week. <laughs> uh, 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 oh, manage, manage that in 20 minutes. Brilliant. I've got it. I, I filled that. I've, got my, I, I've paid my insurance policy for the day. I can now get on with my life. That's not a quiet time. It's the pursuit of the nearness of God. I'm not saying there shouldn't be prayers of intercession in there, but it's, it's a lot more than that. Get back on course. Right, I will. There's got to be a balance between the individual and the church. An important principle in the New Testament is that no one in the church does everything. Not even your poor old pastor, right? People bring their gifts and the church is responsible for using, coordinating, or using or shall I say, testing, using, and coordinating those gifts. That's the way it works. There's much more I could say on that, but I just want to point you to the fact that we need to have a balanced life and a balance of thinking when we're thinking about the gifts. Now, let me just come on to the gifts themselves, if I may. I'm just going to rattle these through a bit. As I say, I'd normally do this in, in more than one evening, and I've got a less than an hour. But let me just touch on them for you. Encouragement, the gift of encouragement. I want to demythologize these without robbing them of their power. The word means to encourage, to comfort, to exhort. It's one of the actions attributed directly to the Holy Spirit where he's called the comforter or counsellor. Now, the word there for comforter as it was given to us way back in the AV translation as well. It's not the word we mean, he's not there to stick you on his lap and give you a cuddle when you're feeling rough. The Bayer Tapestry is a tapestry um, which depicts 
the Norman conquest of this country in 1066. At one point, there's the Roman soldiers going up the beach, and, uh, and sorry, Roman, look at me. The Norman soldiers going up the beach, they're all called Norman, not Roman, weren't they? So all these soldiers called Norman are going up the beach, right? And William the Conqueror's behind, he's got his sword out, and he's sticking it up, jabbing it against the backsides of the guys in front. And it says underneath, William, con- uh, William comforting his... William comforting his troops. Comforting? It's about urging on. That's the old English sense of the word comfort as it's used in that context. He's going to be your comforter. He's here to make you uncomfortable. Walking in faith is walking into stuff you think you can't do. Well, you can't. If you can do it, you don't need God's help, do you? Encouragement. So that's the first one. It's a gift given to people. We had a guy in our church. He could just with one sentence make you feel this tall. It was a gift. Or with just one word of encouragement, you'd lift yourself up and go the next mile. He was that sort of guy. It was a gift, Rick, you know. A wonderful, wonderful guy. Tongues. Oh dear, all the issue around tongues. A special ability that God gives to certain members. Not everybody needs tongues. It's not a proof you're a Christian. That's rubbish. That's got nothing to do with scripture. Either to speak to God in a language they have never learned and to receive and communicate an immediate message of God to his people. Assuming, of course, that you've got a translator there. Otherwise you It doesn't do that, does it? It's there to self-edify. It builds up the person, 1 Corinthians 14.4. I don't know if you've ever been in prayer before the Lord, you know, and you're just lost in worship of God, and you've just run out of words, and yet you feel so much more I could say, Lord. (laughs) Some people have got the gift of tongue where they can spill over, as it were into ecstatic tongue and it sort of releases the heart in worship it's a private thing it's a private thing it can edify the church builds up the church but of course that doesn't work unless you've got an interpreter otherwise it doesn't it can be the direct intercession of the Holy Spirit sometimes when I've been praying for people I find myself needing to wanting to, being urged to pray in tongues now I don't pray in tongues over someone when I'm praying. See, it's not very loud. I leave them, but under my breath, under my breath, I might be... Because I'm not quite sure what it is God wants to do with him, or he might be telling me, it's none of your flipping business. But he wants it dealt with through me. So I pray quietly in time, if that's the way it is. So it can be used for those sort of things. Interpretation speaks for itself, doesn't it? It's not a direct translation. You're not sort of analysing the symbols, the syllables. It's an accurate and spirit-inspired account of what, the, what has been said. We should test the interpretation always against Scripture and the character of God that we find in Scripture. Ego can so easily slip in, so easily. Then there's words of knowledge. David Pitches in his book, Come Holy Spirit, says this, it is the supernatural revelation of facts about a person or situation which is not learnt through the efforts of the natural mind but disclosed by the Holy Spirit to make known a particular person or situation. So I'm ministering a counselling to someone one day and I said, you know, I'm just seeing you under, under a table. He said, well, yeah. I said, what do you mean, yeah? He said, I used to hide from the perpetrator in her family. I used to hide from them under the table. Well, it doesn't change anything. It's static. Word of knowledge is static, but it was information. Something then followed. And we just prayed. And she, <laughs> she actually found Jesus as, she, as we were praying under the table with her. 
it changed that memory forever and de-traumatized her from that moment in her childhood forever. There's a lot more I could say about that. We haven't got time. Pictures, visions, feelings, and so on. All these come into the idea of a word of knowledge. But basically, it's a static information, a revelation from God about a person or a situation. Now, the gift of wisdom is the how-to. It's a revelation from God and what to do about it. At that moment in time, it was to continue praying. She visualizes Jesus under the table with her, and we prayed into that, and she found healing. I can't go into all the conversation. It would take too long. But she found wisdom. Knowledge is static. Wisdom is active. I could unpack that more if we had another three nights. Um, Then there's the gift of prophecy. This is a general gift underlining all the gifts of the word. Anything to do with speaking can can come under the gift of prophecy. In general terms, it means speaking under divine inspiration. Peter C. Wagner says this, Prophecy is a special ability God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to receive and communicate an immediate message of God to his people through a divinely anointed utterance. Now we'll add to that, always obedient to scripture. That's our one sole authority. The most obvious place this can be found is preaching. Now, not all preaching is gifts of the Spirit. We can all waffle on. We could, Michael was saying this morning, when you make it's, you can you can stand up here and present and teach the Bible till the cows come home, but it may not be what God wants to say. You know. As a pastor and a preacher, I would say, I don't know how you would describe it, Michael, but, oh, Pastor Robson, come to that. But, you know, when you, I don't think anyone's ever been surfing or, or even just bellyboarding on a surf. And the wave comes in, and, you know, you swim with the wave, and you try and get on board the wave, and nothing, and so on. And then you catch a wave right, and the wave takes over. And the power... You just, you're just there for the ride. And man, it's a great ride. And all you're trying to do is stay on the wave and allow the surge of the wave to take you right up until the sand scrapes your knees because you've gone right up the beach. It's, it's, a great, it's great fun, great fun. Preaching can be like that at times. We prepare, we pray, we wait on God, we use the word of God as best of our ability and knowledge. We've, we've read, we've studied around it. And then we get in the pulpit And then there are those moments when it becomes the gift released. And we just take off. We just, please God, it was every Sunday. (laughs) It's because I'm preaching tomorrow morning, he said that. I was about to say, please, tomorrow morning, but you beat me to it. (laughs) He knows my need better than I do. (laughs) Prophecy. It's an immediate message. But it's not just preaching. That those, those prophetic utterances can come outside of that quite easily. John Wimber ended up in a plane one day and he was sitting next to this guy and he saw the word adulterer written, as it were, across someone's forehead, word of knowledge. And then he said to this guy, you know, are you an adulterer? <laughs> He's bold. I wouldn't have done to a stranger on a plane. He's got nowhere to run. He's <laughs> He's only in an adulterous relationship. He gets a smack around the head. No, the guy said to him, well, he just collapsed and confessed to John Wimber that indeed was. And John Wimber counselled him and told him to go home and repent before his wife and so on and so forth. Nobody knows the end of that story because he got off the plane and went. But it can come in different ways, but it's a revelation from God. That's the important thing. If we ever find... You are burdened with a negative word, never give it. Take it to the leadership of the church. Never minister, say on a Sunday, to someone a negative word. That goes to the leaders. It's their job to correct and move on from that moment, not yours. Okay. 
Very, very important to remember that fact. There's the gift of discernment. Or as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, distinguishing between spirits. Now that, that may be spiritual evil spirits in the, in the full sense of demonics. We certainly need to recognize those. A lot more people walking around with demons in their churches than you realize. But it's not just demonic, it's the discernment. You can be ever sat in church and three or four or five rows in front, all you can see is the back of someone's head. And you just think, mm, I, I just don't think they're at peace. I, it's just, I don't know what it is. I just, hmm, I don't know what it is. So when the service is over, you go up and you sit down next to this person. You say, hi, um, I just felt, you know, laid a burden on my heart for you. Are you okay this morning? And they go, and they, you know what I'm saying? And they unburden to you. And look, if God's given you that discernment, he'll tell you what the next step is, whether it's you to do something about it or somebody else in the church. Be humble before the Lord on that. You don't have to be the full answer to someone's issues and problems. You might, you might just be the, 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 the traffic cop on duty and say, this way, please, and you know, point <laughs> with the pastor. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But um, you see, the discernment, it's, it's more subtle. It's more subtle, you know? And the only way to sharpen the gifts, which are given to you fairly bluntly, because we're like that, um, to sharpen those gifts and be effective is to, with some degree of tact, go with your gut feeling when it comes to discernment. I jokingly say, it might just be the cheese. You know, if you, they say if you eat cheese late at night, you, you know, it does me anyway. Um, it keeps you up, you have dreams and that sort of thing, and you can't sleep. I eat cheese and I go to sleep wonderful. It's about an hour later. Yeah. Um, but the point is, I say, I'm not sure if this is the cheese from last night. It became quite a phrase at my last church. I'm not sure if it's the cheese I ate last night or God speaking. I'm, I'm just saying in a very gentle way and joking way, so that, you know, I felt this. And what I'm not saying, that says the Lord. He has spoken to me and you've got to believe what I'm telling you. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm a broken man who hears badly from Jesus through his spirit. I'm just wondering whether I've heard from him this morning. You tell me whether this is from God or not. And if it's not, say, thank you for that, because I'm still growing in this. Can I pray for you anyway? And can you please pray for me? Let's go and have a cup of coffee. You know, see, don't, don't make it a big, heavy thing. That's the thing. Treat it lightly, but not jestingly. Much about the cheese. It, it's just my little way of saying, look, I don't know if it's... I'm not perfect. I, I don't say... I, every time I say something, it comes out of my mouth, it's from God. <laughs> no, it's not. Test it. But ask. That's discernment. I've lost myself. Oh, there we are, look. Wisdom, prophecy. Oh, it's down at the bottom there. Discernment. Discernment allows people to, uh, the people of God, to distinguish between motivating spirits. Those spirits can be demonic, or it could just be spirits of attitude. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, people who come to you uh, with a wrong motive, wrong attitude, and you're saying, this, this stinks, it doesn't sound right. Careful how you handle that, but it can be. It, but it can be discernment of demonic possession or oppression. Possession? Christians don't get possessed. What demon likes to live with Jesus? <laughs> but they get oppressed, which means pressed down. You see, our sinful lives mean is it where we grow handles all over us. And then they go, yippee! And they climb up on our backs and they, they've got their feet, as it were, in our hips. And they've got the handles, which are our sinful attitudes, and they, they're steering us. That's oppression. You're being pressed down. You're being controlled you know, in, in that external sense. Now, every believer is open to that. We read elsewhere, do not give the, the devil a foothold. Greek word topos, where we get our word topography from, which is about the study of maps. Do not give the devil an area. Don't give him the welcome mat at your front door. 
Don't give him room to manipulate you. Don't give him room to, to mess up your life. Don't do it. You see? Discernment. And you can discern these things. Gut feelings. It starts with gut feelings. Run with them, but with a large degree of apology. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's the thing. And, and you will get better at it over time with Christ. That's the thing. People's motives in general. It can be about assisting in pastoral counselling. Now, Sarah and I used to do a lot of counselling. And um, often people would come and sit with us, and we knew their problem before they finished telling us what their problem was. Actually, we knew what their problem was when they had told us their problem, which wasn't the problem we thought they had. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, you don't tell them their problem. Oh, no, this is, this is what God's telling me about you. Don't do that. It's not counselling. Counselling is gently taking people to the place of self-awareness. That takes time. That's counselling. Otherwise, you've been too directive. But discernment, to be able to see in a counselling concept what a person is going through. Discernment in, in, in counselling is really, I mean, they're all godly gifts, but oh boy, it's a blessing. It really is. Weighing of prophecies. That can be discernment. Discernment's in a spiritual state. Some people are better at seeing the health, the spiritual health of someone than others. Rather like business, I said before, seeing the back of head someone in front and saying, you all right? Not really understanding why you should be troubled with the back of their heads. But there's something not right, you know? None of these gifts are there for our benefit. There. You see, apart from tongues, when it's a personal devotional thing, it's the only exception, if you haven't got somebody else, you can't exercise the gift. You see, if I had the gift of healing, I don't say, oh, I've got a blinding headache this morning. Lord Jesus <laughs> Don't work. If I've got the gift of prophecy in my preaching, I don't stand in front of a mirror have a go at myself, I'll have a go at everybody else, it's a lot easier. <laughs> but then, you see, the gift has to belong to be used. If you haven't got a third party, see, they're not for you. Now, you can be blessed by other people ministering to you under the direction of God, but your work is to minister to them. It's an old phrase, I scratch your back, and you scratch mine. And that way round, we'll all be fine. That's the way it works. Ministering with the gifts is not about idle curiosity. It's not about um, uh, just being curious about things that are going to happen. It's not about that. Oh, there's a gift of faith here, by the way. Clearly, this faith is given as a gift for express times and purposes. This is not the faith we have for accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. God has given all of us that. This is the faith that can move mountains, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 17, 14 to 20, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, uh, move from here, and it will move. This gift is a powerful gift, okay? You don't have the freedom to move mountains, because I don't know anybody that has. But if God wanted you to move a mountain in faith, he'd make it shorter, you'd know. It could be done, because he made it. It wasn't a problem to make. If he wants to shove it a few feet one way, he could do it. Whatever for, I don't know. But it's, I mean, obviously, it, it, these examples are only given to make a point. You're not supposed to take them literally. But it's a faith that goes far beyond. Far beyond. It's a supernatural surge of confidence, as David Pitches, Pitches puts it in his book, Come Holy Spirit. The important thing to note is that the faith that God is able to do something 
because he's all-powerful, is not the same as a faith that knows God is about to do something. God could pack this place out tomorrow morning, even before we've said anything. He said, what on earth have brought all these people in? Of course it's possible. God can do anything. I don't doubt it for a minute. That's not the faith we're talking about. That's being silly if you go over here. We believe that tomorrow morning it's going to be full, therefore it will be. No, it won't. It's when God tells us something with powerful conviction. You know, the prophets used to get into all sorts of trouble because in Hebrew there's a, there's a, grammar, phrase, a grammar term called the prophetic present. That's a grammar, like the past, the present, and the future. There's a prophetic present. Now, what that means is you'll find the prophets sometimes speaking in the Old Testament in the present tense for something that hasn't yet happened, and may not for years, sometimes decades, sometimes centuries. What are they doing? They are so caught up in the reality of what will be. That's, the, that's their conviction under faith. They put it in the present tense. It's not a mistake. It, it's a... It's, it's, a, it's a way of writing in, in Jewish literature. But that's the prophetic present. And it comes out of having had a mighty gift of God's prophetic understanding. Now, for people in churches like myself and others who have a, have a, a much smaller sense of the gift of prophetic, um, the problem is we're convinced that God wants to do something in a church, but our timetable's all wrong because it's going to happen years later. Our job is to prepare, but the frustration is ours. Is we can see it, we can feel it, 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 it's so close, it's tangible. And so we live like that, and it's painful. I've been there. But that's what it is, to be prophetic. The gift of mighty works, 1 Corinthians 12, 10. Again, if I can quote David Pitches, it's a temporary suspension of the natural order by an intervention of the Holy Spirit. Peter Wagner in his book says this, it is the special ability to serve as human intermediaries through whom it pleases God to perform powerful acts. He's doing them. We're just the intermediary. That's the point. Powerful acts which to the observer have altered the ordinary course of nature. That happens. Raising people from the death, dead is altering the ordinary course of nature, after all. Feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, that ain't, doesn't add up, it's more mass, no, you can't do it. It's, it's a mighty work, you see what I'm saying? We don't see much of this in the Western world these days. If it can be explained scientifically, then science is considered the motivating factor, not God. If it cannot be explained scientifically, then it's decided it didn't really happen. I've had miracles in my church, I'm not going to say which one, and we've had time, awesome times when God's moved powerfully. You'd think I'd announced the weather forecast. I mean, why the place wasn't rocking, why they weren't letting off balloons, I don't know. And I'm talking about very tangible things. We had a lady in our church with, with eye ulcers that were predicted to be with her for the whole of her life. She was under a doctor for them. I went with Sarah and we, we prayed for her and laid hands on her. She went to the GP for a normal checkup on Wednesday. He looked at her and said, Sue, what's happened to you? All her eyes were clear. They put her to the hospital and they checked her at the consultants on her medical record put on by a non-Christian consultant under that issue, it says miracle. Sorry, I didn't do it. She's useless. <laughs> I didn't do it. I'm useless. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It was, but it was a, it was, it was a work of God, a mighty work. You will have this all your life. All you can do is take some drops to try and keep the pain levels down in all your ulcerated um, eyes inside. Terrible pain she was in. Well, it comes on to healings, doesn't it? 
because I say healings because in 1 Corinthians 12 9 it's put in the plural gifts with an S on the end of healing that's a variety of the work and a variety of sicknesses involved in healing healing is not just about getting rid of disease if it was most prayer actually fails it does and it always will it's not just about getting rid of disease, but restoring Christ's image in us, in a move towards greater wholeness and not simply a cure or a moment in time. Now, why does God heal some men and not others? Well, there's a number of reasons, but one of them is a physical healing. I mean, I mean, you know, he's, got, he's better from his cold. I mean, something serious, healing from cancer and things like that, which happened during the pandemic. That was amazing. Uh, a guy on, um, on life support, organ shutting down. Uh, we were praying about this situation and within a couple of days he's sitting up in bed as bright as rain. Doctors couldn't work out what was going on. They put him down on an MRI scan because uh, they wanted to see what state his organs were in and they were fine, though they'd all been shutting down. But he'd gone into hospital with a pre-diagnosed cancer. They did the MRI, the flipping cancer had gone. Go figure. So you have these healings. So, but why does God do that? It's God's megaphone. Sometimes he needs to shout at us. They are signposts. John called John's gospel signs and wonders. They are signposts. If you ever have a physical healing, don't just say hallelujah, praise God, let's have three more songs. Don't, I mean, do that by all means. It's great to celebrate God's goodness. Don't get me wrong. But the more important question thing is, that person was healed, what's the sign? Has anybody read the sign? What's God trying to say to us by shouting at us with a physical healing like this? I mean, big deal. I've got news for you, they're going to die. Because we all do. That's the one guarantee in life. I'm going to pop my clogs unless... Jesus Christ returns beforehand. Everybody who gets physically healed, it's, it's nice in the moment, and it's nice to have a bit of comfort. Don't get me wrong. And I've seen it. I've been part of it. But they're just signs. What's he trying to say? We had a lady in our church with a back problem, slip discs and stuff, and we used to see God do incredible works of, of, of release in her back, but it was never, ever permanent. What's going on? I said to her, God's trying to straighten you, not just your physical back. We had to talk about that quite a bit. Look for the sign. That's so, so, so important. Three reasons for healings. To assist a person to wholeness and growth in Christ. They just needed a megaphone to help them. God loves them through us. God's power, authority and gospel are made known. Either or, one, two, three. They're there. But we need to make that distinction between cure and healing. It's not always a cure. You can pray for people until the cows come home, nothing changes. Does that mean prayer doesn't work? Well, if you were focused on cure only, I guess you'd have to say yes, wouldn't you? But you see, healing is about wholeness. It's about wholeness. We had a lady die of cancer in our church, Cynthia in London, lovely, lovely Christian. When she finally died, we'd been praying for her, but when she finally died, I was obviously doing the funeral, and a crowd of people came out, I didn't recognise, and I just said, are you family or friends? They said, neither, we're from the hospital, St Mary's Teaching Hospital around the corner. I said, oh really? Yeah, yeah, we just had to come to the funeral. I said, what's, what's that? We've never seen anybody die like Cynthia did. She'd not been cured. But then through the, our prayer, the Lord Jesus healed her to such a degree that the light of Christ shone so brightly that people who did not know Jesus had to come to her funeral. 
and find out what it was all about. She wasn't cured, she was healed. And you need to have both those agendas in mind when you're praying for people and with people. That's, that's important. We're done, we are, aren't we? Yeah, we must be. I've got bits and pieces on the use and misuse of gifts, the mechanics of it all, but probably we don't need to go into that right now because that's more about organising teams for Sunday, Sunday ministry and what have you. So I'm going to stop there. Um, you've had to put up with a lot from Michael. No, sorry, you've, you've had to put up... A, <laughs> I, I, drew, I drew breath in the wrong place. I meant to say, you've had to put up with a lot from Michael and me today. We've... <laughs> Oops. Um, no, we've, 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 we've thrown a lot of information at you. I just wonder whether you might have anything you want to question or ask about from Michael or I. We're both happy to, to take questions. Um, if there's anything you'd like to ask Michael and I before we, we do anything else this afternoon. A um, lot to take in. I'm sure you've got lots of notes. Michael's kindly did much more than I did in preparing notes for you. Um, so you've got all his stuff as well. So I'm sure you'll want to go through those a number of times, maybe, and take it all in. But if there's anything that grabs you in the moment um, that Michael and I can help with, because when we're gone, we're gone. And uh, that'll be it for now. But it's entirely up to you. Yeah, of course you can. Is this for me or for Michael? Oh, Can I shed any more light on the move of the Holy Spirit in and through the church? Um, I've, I've shown, firstly, that the Spirit of God is moving constantly through the church down the centuries. Um, in terms of today, it's about, and Michael may want to add to this, Michael, um, you're very happy for you, my friend, to share the question. But as we think of the moving of the Holy Spirit of God through the church, and I think of today, for example, I say, well, why not here? Well, Ultimately, God is sovereign, obviously, we know that. But I still have to come back and ask myself, in any way, Lord, am I the reason? Is our church the reason? Are we receptors? Are we able to receive? Are we going about this the right way? Is our attitude before Christ right? Are our motives pure? Are what we're seeking correct? Uh, and we need to be asking ourselves all these sort of things. Um, and then spending a lot of time in prayer. Every revival that I've read about has an enormous amount of prayer attached to it, um, where we're seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord. Um, so I'd, I'd probably leave it at that point, really. I, have you got anything else you wanted to add, Michael? You're... Also. Oh, also. <laughs> Lazy so-and-so. Right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I can't offer you points one, two, and three, and it'll happen, you see. It's of God. But we need to have the right attitude and heart to receive. As I say, it's, it's about us being fully raised, revived, equipped to be out there and speak of Jesus. That's, that's the thing. Um, that's the Lord's work, but we have to be open to all that the Lord wants to do. And you can't start in a better place than prayer. You can never have too much prayer in a church. You know, people say that it's, the, it's the engine room of the, any church, and it's true, it is. Um, it's a difficult thing to sustain. I know that. I know that. Mix it up a bit, that helps. Do it in different ways, different agendas, different ways of patterns of praying. Do that, that helps. I get bored with my quiet times. Am I allowed to say that? I get bored in my quiet times. So I mix it up. You know, I do it in different ways. I can't unpack that for you now. But I keep it fresh. And I'm sure God says, and thank goodness for that. You know, every time you talk to God, he doesn't want to hear the same thing, droning on with the same prayer pattern, day after day. He's oh, day. Here he comes again. You know, it's not that. Got to change. So, yeah, a lot of prayer. Always search your hearts. Do you know the Lord's Prayer was a corporate prayer? I mean, it was only a pattern prayer anyway. It's like, it's like a driving, it's like the um, highway code. You don't sit in your car, recite the highway code and go back in the house. 
That's what the Lord's Prayer is. They said, teach us how to pray. So he gave them the framework for fullness of prayer. Unpack it and understand it and teach it like that. You can learn a lot, actually. So so many different ways to pray. But the point is, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, give us, and not me, 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 you, 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 and you. No, us, our daily bread. But what do we as a, as a church, as a body, what's the bread that we need as a united one body? Here's a good one. Forgive us our sins. When did we last confess the collective sin of the body? What is the collective sin of the body? Where as we, as a body, a complete body of Christ's people, where are we going wrong? Maybe we never sin. Yeah, I thought that. You know, but you know, we've never stopped to ask ourselves that question. Where are we out of fellowship? Not individually, but as a whole people. We never ask the question. We're not very corporately aware these days. We're so individualistic. That's the way society's gone. We've lost that sense. But lots of prayer. Lots and lots of prayer. Check your motives. And listen to God. You know. Anything else from anyone? Oh, yes. Example. Right. Right. Ah. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Yeah. You see. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a fascinating one. You know, we, we, it's not against flesh and blood that we fight, but against principalities and powers and so on. And we do have to deal with, with the tangible, you know, the flesh and blood at one level. Of course we do. But to understand the spiritual dimension, I mean, we're going to, the, we're going to hell in a handbasket when it comes to abortion right now. Okay? We're going to hell in a handbasket. Um, and we can, we can fight every government, every political point of view, we can, we can lobby, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that sort of thing necessarily, but believe me, believe me, the false god of Moloch, did you know, the valley outside Jerusalem, they used to sacrifice babies there to the false god Moloch, right? God cursed the valley, it became the rubbish tip, and by the time Jesus arrived it was a rubbish tip. In fact, that's where you get the idea of, of, of flames in hell. Because the rubbish tip was there, it was spiritually unclean, nobody wanted to go there, it meant you were outside of God's favour, it was a cursed place. Nobody wanted to go there. It had been, it had been, it, the gases and the rotting of the animals and all that sort of stuff and the city's rubbish had been going on, the stench as well. But at night it was said there were blue flames dancing all over it from the gases coming up, all right? Jesus talks about Gehenna and he, uh, to, to Gehenna and he points to the valley, you see. He's not saying it's all about burning with fire forever. That's just a, a 19th century load of old rubbish. Um, it was a metaphor to provoke horror at what it's, not, what it's like to not be in God's favour. You see, hell is simply the absence of God. It, it's, it's not a brute God who set up this torture chamber for eternity. <laughs> it's not that. 
All he says, all your life you've said to me, you don't want nothing to do with me. But my presence has always been with you because you know love, joy, beauty, all these lovely things that we have in the world. Oh, and you're standing on my tr the train of my gown, which is love, joy, beauty, all these things. You've told me to walk away the whole of your life and out of love and grace because I care for you, I haven't. And I've let you make use of my presence. But in death... I give you what you've asked for. And he walks away and he takes his presence with him. Everything's a negative is left. Depression, darkness, loneliness, sadness, pain. Not as a punishment, but it's the absence of God. But we shake up and say, how can, you, how can there be a loving God with a hell? Well, I didn't make it, you did. You see? I don't get into that. <laughs> Yeah, the spirit moving. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I sort of moved on, didn't I? Sorry, I, I do that. But yeah, no, no. But I mean, your point about it's, it's not against it's not against flesh and blood that we fight. It's principalities and powers. To look at the Bible, to look at newspapers, and see the power behind the actions. That's why I say. That's why I see. I went now. Abortion. You see, the God of Molech that was sitting in the valley outside Jerusalem, screaming for more blood, he sits in the Houses of Parliament. And it doesn't matter what we do in terms of abortion, it's never enough. And now he's got basically full run of that. He says, I want more blood. So now we're getting into euthanasia. And if you've seen what's going on in places like Belgium and Holland, where now they can euthanize kids. Kids! And they don't need permission to euthanize old people. That's how it's gone in a few years. And our government is trying, and other governments are trying now to bring that stuff into this country. Every year there are two or three attempts, literally two or three attempts every year to do that. But that's the principalities and powers at work behind the flesh and blood. So read your newspapers and see from history what's going on. Step back and, and see the big geopolitical picture of what God is up to and what Satan is up to across this world of ours. It is sick. And until the church rises up, we're in big trouble. Big trouble. Robson. Time's beaten us, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big book. Sinfulness, yeah. Sinfulness. Mm. And then that's, that's why when the wrath of God is revealed, it's that way that God has taken off the brakes. Yeah. And then now they're just going to um, yeah. uh, eat that rock. Yeah. And we just cry for sure because they reject it. Yeah. 
it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, you know, we sometimes talk about God hardening people's hearts as though he... Hmm, it, he stops the heart being hardened. So when it says God hardened their hearts, it's what you're saying. He says, I'm taking my grace away. And you, you know what happens if you, you're doing a lot of manual work? You get calluses on your hands, you see. So hard in the end. It's like when you're playing a guitar. Guitarists, you all know this, across the tops of the fingers. Thank goodness, all your, your fingers will be a lot of pain. Um, that's the natural order of things. But by God's grace, he stops that happening. But then he says, okay, you will not listen. I will harden your hearts. He puts it in that phraseology because ultimately he's in control. But all he has to do to harden is actually do nothing to you other than let go. And then the natural outworking of rebellion takes in, takes over. If you work in a pigsty long enough, you can't smell pig poo. It sounds crude, but it's true. If you work in a pigsty long enough, you can't smell pig poo. And God says, right now, I'm taking a peg off your nose, you're going to smell it. And you're going to know it. And, and that's the thing with it, you see. It's, as you say, this is a dodgy one, but I'm going to say it. God didn't cause AIDS. He didn't need to. All right? But what he did do was send people after people after people to say that form of sexuality, I'm just talking about homosexuality now, I'm not having to go at anybody, but all forms of promiscuity, which is what's caused the spread of AIDS, is outside of my will. Ah, we'll be all right, we'll be all right, we'll be all right. Oh, we'll take the pill, that'll be all right. we we'll wear condoms, all those sort of things. And God says, it's not enough. I'm protecting you from the worst of what could happen. Oh, shut up. You've been saying that for, through, talking to the, you know, the Christians. Ah, you've been saying that for centuries. Just get with the times, you know. Get modern, for heaven's sake. And God says, in that case, I will take away my arms of love and allow the natural consequences of your behaviour to show. And that's what happens with AIDS. And we could go on to talk about other things. When you get out of the, the local and step back and see the big picture, as my friend was saying at the back just now, you begin to see things in different ways. And it helps our prayer times as well. Yeah, pray for the person in pain. Even if someone who you feel has in pain because they desert it from the way they're living, you don't stop praying for them. Jesus still loves them. Why should you stop? But you see things at the larger level and be praying about the larger picture. Lord, come in power. Bring down the principalities and powers. We used to be nominally a Christian country, culturally, everywhere. We were respected around the world. This nation turned its back knowingly on God, and most of the church has done the same, turned their back knowingly on God. We were a fortress of the word of God. Missions went out across the world from this place at the end of the 19th century. You see, that happened. But it's rather like that game of, what was that? Um, not, um, computer, no, it's a computer game. Oh, what it, oh very, uh, um, sorry? No, where right early, early on in the games, thing, where, where you had the little shooters coming down and you had bricks. Space invaders, that's it. And gradually the walls get pew, 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 and the walls get taken out and then the space invaders can get in. That's what happens to this, happened to this nation over the last 50, 60 years. No one's been looking after the walls, and they've come tumbling down. And every evil is rampant. They can put up mosques anywhere. You try finding land to build a church. Uh, morally, ethically, everything. Our denominations are collapsing with ethical and moral decisions which are frightening. Frightening. We've seen it, I don't like to name denominations because I'm not picking on them, but there's been recent examples of it, hasn't there? Even our denomination are in deep water right now, if you're following what's going on in debate and discussion right now with a whole marriage issue. 
I've told them if, and I know others have, I've told them, I wrote to them and said, if, if you bring in same-sex marriage, I'm resigning from the church. It, it's, it's, a, it's a line in the sand. It's the word of God. I'm not going against the word of God. But it's happening. Space invaders, you know. We need to see the big pictures and be praying into that as well. There's a mini big picture for this area. What's the spiritual climate of this area? What are the, what are the principalities and powers locally that are m- making a problem here? I don't know. It's not for me to answer that one. It's for you to find out. Look and see what's going on around. See what moves are going on. What's going on in your local council? What's, what's the spirit? What's the move? What's going on? You see? You need to know what to pray into. It's important. Thanks for listening. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. If you want more information about Camrose Baptist Church, visit our website, www.camrosebc.org.uk. Follow us on Instagram at Camrose Baptist Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Camrose Baptist Church Edgeware.